Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Today, we, as Matthew said, we are looking at people around Jesus at this time uh, of, of Easter. Uh, we're looking at people who was affected by the Easter story. Today, we are looking at two criminals. That's where we are focus. Two thieves condemned and crucified on the left and right side of Jesus. And as we do that, it reveals what I truly think is an extreme power of scandalous and radical grace uh, that must affect us today. And that's not even me putting big words together, like scandalous, radical, extreme. It's for me, like the word scandalous is for me something, or that's meaning something that is outrageous, something that is shocking, that is offensive almost. That's what we're going to look at today. The timeline of Jesus, where we just start out, is of Jesus' death. We had the Last Supper. We had the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was betrayed, arrested, religious leaders condemning him. Before the religious leaders could put Jesus to death, they needed Rome to approve of their death sentence. Jesus was taken to Pontius Pilate, who found no reason to charge him. He then sent him back to Herod, who was in Jerusalem at that time. And Jesus refused to answer his questions. So Herod sent him back to Pilate. Although he found Jesus innocent, he feared the crowds and he sentenced him to death. So Jesus was beaten, marked, stripped naked, and given a crown of thorns. He was made to carry his own cross and led away to Calvary, crucified on a hill for all to see. That's where we kind of get into this story. I'm going to read from Luke 23. 32 to 40. And let's just, our focus firstly is on the thieves. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right side, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Now let him save himself. If he's God, the Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which, which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. Save us. Scripture only shares minor details about these men on the cross beside Jesus. There were two, Matthew called them two rebels crucified together with him. Who was these men? And I want us to look at that a little bit. What, we don't know much, but what we do know. These two men were violent hardened criminals whom Rome considered a threat to their control. Execution by crucifixion was a terrible preventive 
example for other criminals and other people, for anyone watching. It was purposefully done on a hill so everyone could see it from, from far away. Roman citizens and the upper classes were usually spared this cruel and torturous way of death. Um, but the Romans, they used it freely with slaves and the lower classes, especially those deemed a menace to Roman rule or the social order. These might have been slaves who had escaped and committed serious crimes. And the Bible doesn't exactly name the charges for these two thieves. But there would have been enough evidence, according to them, to this to have them tried and killed in this brutal way. The word, word the scripture uses to describe these men gives some insights. They point for us, and the point for us is to know a little bit about these people. This is the kind of people that God chose to tell this story, to show this story. Um, two different Greek words used in the gospel to describe them can be translated as thieves, robbers, criminals, malefactors, revolutionaries, and rebels. Luke, Luke's word suggests that this person is an evildoer. Well, that is evildoer. Um, one who commits gross misdeeds and serious crimes. Matthew and Mark call them robbers. Robber, it could be translated robber, highwayman, bandit. The Greek words by Matthew and Mark suggest that someone that plundering by violence, plundering people by violence. They could have been common thieves, but they could also have been the kind of thieves, and that's what many people lean towards. Uh, the kind of highwaymen or bandits that swoop down on lonely groups of travelers from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho, Stripping people from everything they had, leaving them on the road to die and just go on. Um, like we know from the story of the Good Samaritan, it's the same word used to describe this kind of criminals. So this kind of criminals or bandits were actually the terror of the roads or the terror of the travelers at that time. And it was a reason for people that, that they tend to want to travel in larger groups, not by themselves, because of these kinds of criminals. And one of these then is on the right, let's say he's on the right side. One of these thieves, bandits, dying on the cross, now takes up, you can always call him the cat calling or the, uh, the, the mocking of he, Jesus. I started by the soldiers, he picks that up looks at Jesus and stops mocking him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself. Save us. Probably much like you see in like prisons, like people are mocking, tearing down the people, and they just like do whatever they can to ridicule, ridicule. You have this criminal on the side, all his bitterness. You have all his pain, anger, he was angry. He was bitter. He was probably angry at being caught. He was angry about being judged. He was disappointed. And others around them shared his contempt at that moment. The crowd, like the crowd around there were shouting. And it's easy, I think, to be contempt with someone who could 
proclaimed that he was the light of the world. Now he's hanging there as a criminal, just as the others. He was shouting to him. The verb used to describe the, what the thief, the way the thief talked to Jesus, is the Greek word blasphemio, to demean something, to through speech. And this is in like an honor-shame society, so it's, 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 a, it's a demeaning thing to speak to like that. He did not know, that's what I want to say, he did not have a clue what he was doing. He had no idea what was happening right in front of him, there and then. Let's actually pause the, the, the view on him a little bit, this first criminal. Let's pause that a little bit. And let's turn our focus to the one in the middle, to Jesus who was hanging in the middle. And then we will continue. Let's look at Jesus for a while on, on the cross. And there is a point of looking a little bit on the cruelty and the harshness of this crucifixion. It's not just to create some shock value or just, wow, not at all. Keep in mind, why did he have to suffer so much in this, in this kind of way? That's what we want. That's why we look at it a little bit. Um, crucifixion it was cruel and it was a lengthy process. It was a method of extreme punishment. The person had supposedly been accused, tried, and convicted. The sentence was death. The criminal, a condemned criminal, would have been tied, or in this case with Jesus, nailed to a large wooden beam in the shape of a cross. A historians put it like, it's like a helpless animal tangled in a barbed wire fence. Like that, the, the victim could survive for hours, for days, with excruciating pains. Death usually came by suffocation. When hanging by his hands, the victim losing the strength to draw another breath. And this harsh form of death was prevented to, was supposed to prevent crime. And leaving the body on the cross for a period of time allowed people to see it and see the effect of the punishment and hopefully prevent them from breaking you know, the laws of the Romans. Seeing a person nailed to the cross and left to die like that would have been a horrendous thing to see. Uh, Isaiah 52 even says about Messiah, he was so beaten and abused that he wasn't even recognizable. Jesus had, at this point, we are kind of focusing a little bit on Jesus in the middle, on the cross. He had been beaten mercilessly before he was made to carry the cross and journey to Golgotha. His body has been uh, whipped with a thing that they call flogged, and therefore he was already losing blood. And that was an instrument of torture. A short wooden handle that had several strips of leather and attached to the that it was either like uh, iron or, or bones. I'm not going to go into too much, but it was two persons soldiers hitting from each side often on the back of the, the condemned criminal, resulting in the flesh being cut so severely that veins, arteries, and sometimes even inner organs were visible. And sometimes it's reported that victims or the criminals even died here because this was so much. 
there was a brutal form of torture. This was probably the physical reason that when Jesus was walking slowly up to the hill, they actually had to have someone else carrying him across. For, he's probably lost a lot of blood in this time. At the hill, he was stripped, he was nailed to the cross, nailed, and above him, they placed the condemnatory inscri inscription saying he believed he was the king of the Jews. So why did he have, why did he suffer so much? Couldn't he just kind of come to the earth, shed some blood, and just go back and kind of everything was was done because it needed to be a sacrifice. Uh, why did he suffer so much? Justin touched a little bit on last message and listen to that if we haven't been able to. On the fear that inward, like the fear, the anxiety of Gethsemane, the loneliness and the, the feeling of being left like Jesus went through, the hopelessness. And here we are looking a little bit more at the the brutality of the, the physical, the, to the torture. One thing I want to say, why does it have to be so brutal? Why would it have to be so, so much suffering? One thing I want to say is, and listen to this, we do not have a savior who cannot identify or sympathize with our struggles, with our sorrows, with our pains. And this part of this story makes that so clear. Just like Hebrew 4, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us. I see that as one, why did he have to go through all of this for you, for me? Because we do not have a savior who cannot identify with suffering. So this is going on. This What was going on right here in front of the crowd, in front of the, the mocking from the, from the soldiers, from the, from the thief. They all thought he is being judged by God. He's being, that's why he's hanging here. What was really going on right here? And this affects us so much. So let's go back. Let's just keep our focus on, the, on Jesus in the middle here. Let's go back and read. Let's go back 750 years. This was written from Isaiah 53, 4 to 6. This is, was written 750 years before Christ. It clearly prophesied to this, this very moment in history. I'm going to read it two times. This is what actually is going on right, right there and then. Surely... He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment brought us peace. that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of, of us all. I'm just going to read it again. And you can just close your eyes and just take this in. This is what actually is happening. Surely he took up our pain 
and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For your, in this room right now and listening to this right now, for your pain, suffering, afflictions, transgressions, meaning law-breaking, iniquities, leaning more to immorality, to have gone astray, grief, sorrow. Can you relate to anything of this? He became one with this for them around him, for that thief and for you. We are looking at what's really going on at the cross. The Lord laid everything on him. You can keep these verses up. I'm just going to point out a couple of words in this. The words will be surely, bore, but, and all. I'll get back to it. Verse 4. I just want to, I, I urge you to dive into these verses when you have time. I just want to point out verse 4. It starts with, surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. Surely. I love that it says surely. That's actually, that means absolutely he took up our pains. It means beyond all argument, surely God places this word in the beginning of this, describing Jesus on the cross. Surely, absolutely, beyond all argument. Sometimes you might even think, did he really die for this? Do he really know what this, what I'm actually going through? Can he relate to this? Surely, everything, beyond all arguments. Can I trust him with this? Surely. He bore, bore, next, our suffering. That word is when you physically remove a burden from the shoulder of another, you lift it up and you place it on yourself. It means to take up to lift and to rise. Surely he, he took it, bore it, and placed it on himself. It's not there anymore. He, he took it away. It also means when, that he bore it. He identifies with the ones who feels under pressure. He can identify because he became... He identified with the ones who feel under pressure, the ones feeling abused, lonely, hopeless, bodily pain, being depressed by suffering. He bore that. Surely he did. He can identify with it. Verse 5 is interesting, the word but I will start with. Everyone thought he was his blame. Everyone there thought that now he is being Struck by God, he's been punished by God for his sins, for his claims. But, this, but says, no, that's not the case. But it was for you. It was not for him. He didn't take his 
But this is for you. This is not him. This is us. This is an exchange, a beautiful exchange. It wasn't for him, but it was for us. He was pierced. He was crushed. He was punished. And it was not for him. It was for us. It was for you. By his wounds, we are healed. Where is the healing in this meaning? Where is the healing going on? Is it by my knowledge I am healed? Is it by my patience I am healed? Is it by my confession I'm healed? No. Is it by my devotion that I'm healed? Is it about finding the right kind of church that I'm healed? No. By his wounds we are healed. We don't even know the timing, but it's by his wounds we are healed. One simple point, it was all on him. My hands, it did the hurting. His hands was nailed to the cross. My feet went astray. His feet was nailed to the cross. My mind, full of anxiety and rebel, uh, rebellion, the crown of thorns on his head, so my mind can have peace. Just one thing with the verse 6, the word all. We were all lost and astray, and we can definitely relate to that. Can throw in Romans, and then we are sure we can relate to that. We all were lost and astray, and God placed iniquity for all on him. Sometimes even, or very often actually, we still like to think we play a little bit part in this exchange, I think. If I was just a little bit better, if I just believed a little bit more, if only, no, this is not your work. This is not your work. It's on him. And that also goes for punishment. You know, it's easy to sit sometimes and say, I am worthless. You know, if they only knew who I am. Why do I keep doing this thing, etc.? And then sometimes we even wallow in guilt and shame. Just sit there, hating ourselves because of what we have done wrong. The punishment on him for our peace. Why keep punish yourself? You don't even have the right to do that anymore. And why do you judge others? It's not your right anymore. Punishment on him. So with this in mind, now let's turn our attention to the second thief. We looked a little bit at the first thief. We looked at Jesus in the middle, what's really going on. Let's turn our attention to the second thief. And this is where the words scandalous, in my, for me, this is where the words scandalous, radical grace becomes a reality when I look at it. And keep this in mind, the things we always, like, surely, do I really, don't I have to do anything to deserve this gift of salvation? Keep that in mind. So, the second thief, we're looking at the second thief. You can decide who are the second thief. Um, and remember how we described these thieves. They were dangerous criminals, you know. And this one, he was judged and condemned just as the other thief. 
there was a reason for him hanging there. There was a reason that he was judged. He wasn't the nice one. Like he wasn't like the other one was the bad and this was the, the, the nice one. He was a thief. He was a condemned criminal just as the other one. He just had a completely other view of Jesus. It's not who you are. It's how do you see Jesus. Who do you say I am, Jesus says. When you see his sacrifice, what do you do with that? So he was a criminal. And as we saw in Luke 23, they awaited their death. One spoke to Jesus with harsh words, mocking, taunting him. And we read from Luke 23, 40 to 43. But the other criminal, the one we are talking about now, rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. One mocked Jesus and wanted to actually come off his cross. No, save yourself and save me. The other one accepted his cross. He surrendered to that. And he asked Jesus to remember him. That is remarkable. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. By any measure, this statement is astounding. His disciples, they were, most of them fled the scene. They were disillusioned. You can see it when the, the, the disciples talking on the way to Emmaus. They were disappointed. We thought this was it. But here on the cross to one side of Jesus, a fellow condemned man, a thief and a murderer, life was ebbing out of him. He looks across and sees not only a dying man, but he sees the Messiah himself. Somehow, he understands that Jesus is not an imposter. That he is who he says he is. He, he, when, you come, when you come to your kingdom, he says, it's just an, a thought. He would know that this is not an earthly king. He would never be placed on a cross like that. He wouldn't be there. So he knew there was something more about this man. He talks about when you get to your kingdom, remember me. This conversation, these few words from the two men on the cross, gasping for air, shows us what the New Testament declares about radical grace. This was the last person, literally, this was the last person on earth that anyone thought would enter paradise with Jesus. He had nothing. Only thing, he saw Jesus for something else. He saw, who do you say I am? He saw Jesus. Are we really saved without any strings attached to it? And I'm just getting to the point. Oh, this is the point I'm getting to now. Yeah. Oh, I saw the fear in your eyes. Um, uh, this is what I want to say. 
we are all lost. We can't save ourselves. Only Jesus can save. And it's not because of anything we can do at all. It's so extremely clear of this story of this thief. This. The second thief, he had no time to clean up his life. Like, literally, actually. He had no time to clean up his life. To get things together. To change, to study, or whatever. Yet, there was nothing. Nothing. The only thing he could do, other than he could, he repented. And we actually see that. He says, we deserve this cross. He repented. He was... Claiming his sins, I, this is right, I deserve this cross. Where the other one wanted to get off the cross. And he approached Jesus, he asked Jesus, please remember me. He repented, he, he believed in Jesus and he asked Jesus, that's what he did. He gave us all a picture of what it takes to come into the family of God. Eternal salvation, freedom, undeserved, scandalous, radical grace. That's it. I want to stop trying, even to us in this room, stop trying to be good enough. Please, stop trying to be good enough. Stop trying to fix yourself. And while I'm at it, stop judging other sinners for what they do. This is the radical way God, Jesus saved and when he said, be, today you will be with me in paradise, for me it's always been a bit difficult picturing paradise. What would that look like? And some of the picture people talk about doesn't really, uh, I don't know. But in this sentence for me is the most beautiful description of eternal life for me. He says, you will be with me. Most beautiful. It says, for me, that's paradise. That's eternal life. I will be with Jesus face to face. Nothing between us. Sometimes we taste his glory. Sometimes we taste the beauty. But I will be with him. Yes, that's it. That's eternity for me. That's, that's worth it all. So in this simple expression, Jesus assured this thief Eternal forgiveness, no strings attached. The judge of heaven lifted the guilt from the second thief's shoulders and placed it on Jesus. He bore our sins. I asked my uh, wise wife, Summer, just spontaneously, what does this story about the two thieves tell you? And she just said, this is the story of grace personified. This is grace personified. This is it. With Jesus, you have nothing to prove. Do not pretend. Do not cover up. Do not imitate others. Come as you are. And this is not merely a great story. This must affect every one of us, every one of you. And yeah, you might even have been saved for many years. Read all the books have all your right opinions. 
You even might be talking about God. Amazing. You might be, but you still suffer. You still struggle with sin and the effects. What do you do about that? Do you get bitter? Or do you just hope to kind of uh, get away from it? Or do you put on a religious act and just kind of everything is fine? Or do you accept it? Do you dare to believe that he died for this as well? Do you accept it? Reach out to Christ and just ask him, come. And if that is so, that should affect how you struggle, how we struggle. It should affect how we meet people who struggle, this kind of place. Come back to the cross. That's my, what I want to end with. Come back to the cross. Lay it all down. Stop, try, stop trying to fix yourself. Stop looking down at others. This is what he offers you in this room by his Holy Spirit that is here. This is what we offer the world. This is what we offer our city. We do not offer our goodness. We offer this radical, scandalous kind of grace. This makes it so clear. He died, Jesus. He was raised on the third day. The resurrection sealed this beautiful exchange once and for all. It is finished. It's an open invitation and he is risen. I'm actually going to end by singing a song. I'm going to wrap up this message in a song. I'm going to use a song. And this song is... We actually get to listen to the perspective of that second thief that, we, that I talked about. So this is a song from his, this is his story. So hopefully you will be able to listen and just take part of that.